Hello everyone, I am Alex Majorana. And I'm Sydney Lynch. And this is Little Known Tracks. Today we talked with Plexiglass, an ethereal pop artist based in LA. Small but mighty, they took up boxing. They came for the fitness, but stayed for the cool gloves. While it took some time to find their style, they now focus on telling a personal story and helping to destigmatize mental health. They collaborate with a variety of artists and have been able to expand their understanding of music thanks to some of their most frequent collaborators. Having released their newest album, Where Is Your God Knowing What You Know Now, in October, they hope to get three more singles released within the next year. Without further ado, Lilith by Plexiglass. Are you so pious now? Where is your God knowing what It's my body, it's my body, don't you cry for me, raise your fallacies, it's my body, it's my body, you scream here to see me cause you're scared of me. Plexiglass. Hey. Uh, thank you for being on the podcast today. Yeah, of course. No problem. Mm-hmm. So I think what we wanted to start with a little bit was boxing. You said you started boxing like fairly recently, um, kind of form of fitness. But how did you kind of get interested in that? Like, how was that what you ended up doing? Um, I don't know if it's recent now. It's been like about three years. Um, I just kind of, you know, I... I'm almost 31, but at the time I was like, I'm reaching 30 and my metabolism is not what it used to be. And I've never been a gym person. I was blessed with like a petite sort of, you know, genes and never really needed to, you know, work out too much or anything like that. So I knew that if I was going to like get back into fitness, that it needed to be something that I actually enjoyed. And it turned out that this was like, perfect for me. Um, I had a friend that recommended it to me actually. And I just like fell in love with it at one point, um, before, uh, COVID I was going like five days a week and just like really into it. I like considered starting to like really train to like, maybe actually like fight, like actually have like a match. Um, and, uh, yeah, then COVID happened and I was like, "Eh, I think those goals are probably dashed, but (laughs) But yeah, I love it. I, um, I have a bag at home now and I just, um, I try to get in like 
three days a week minimum um, on the bag. And yeah, I just love it. It's very empowering. Very, very empowering. So you said that you like thought about training to do fights and whatnot. Um, Did you ever like, have you ever done any sort of like, uh, not like official fights or anything like that? Or is it just like little sparring things of that nature? Yeah, I did. I went to a kickboxing gym that did like one-on-one sparring sessions. um, And that was when I really started to think like, Ooh, I really like this. I like, I like, you know, hitting the bag and that's all well and good and everything, but like really like, you know, getting to sort of, um, be, uh, physical with another human is, um, it was surprising to me as someone who's like, kind of, you know, I'm 411. I've never gotten into any scrapes. I don't have any business, you know, like (laughs) fisticuffing with anyone. So it's nothing that I've experienced organically in my life before. So it was, it was really kind of interesting to, uh, tap into that side of myself and, uh, realize that, um, yeah, it's fun. I like it. I like it. I like it a lot. Now, was it like a little intimidating at first? Cause I feel like, uh, yeah, boxing the first thing you think of is like getting in the ring with somebody and like doing a fight oh yeah oh yeah and a fight yeah having a fight (laughs) whatever (laughs) totally and my um my trainer was like no joke she's like uh shout out to Beth she's like um gotta be in her 50s I believe and like the most in shape like woman I have ever met in my life like just like I want her body like like it was very intimidating in that respect where I was like wow I um I've never I I could never dream of having a body like that and like being that like physically strong and physically capable so it was really intimidating but um what like they really they really bring you in um I did let's see I think it was twice I I um the gym I went to um you can like kick your bag down like if you if you really go at it hard enough you can actually like knock your bag down and the first time I did it I was like I could do anything. Like I am unstoppable. Like, um, that was a really cool, cool experience. And I think I did it one other time, um, before COVID hit. And yeah, that, that was a way for me to gain a little bit more confidence and feel like, you know what, I, I can totally, uh, run next to all of these other people. And it was, you know, a bunch of people from like varying, uh, experience and, um, mixed martial arts and, and boxing and kickboxing too. So I never felt like I was quite the weakest link, but I was definitely down at the bottom when I first started, like I could like barely like run for like 10 minutes. I was so out of shape. (laughs) Like it was really pathetic. Um, but once you really start conditioning and like gaining, um, that strength, um, it, it, it's cool to watch your progress too. And there's so many like technical aspects of it. Cause like one wrong, yes. like hand fo- like form and you break your hand on a yeah. bag. Like, yeah. What was that process of like learning all those techniques? Like it's, it's actually, it's a mixture of that totally technique is key. Um, but it's also your equipment too. So I went in with like, And I thought, I thought like I was so prepared, but I went in with like, um, not real hand wraps. They were like these like silly little like gel, uh, hand wraps that I had gotten from like a very like fitness kickboxing place called rumble. It's like a chain or whatever. I went to that once and I was like, this is not for me. Um, it's very much like the orange theory of kickboxing. It's just not for me. Um, but I thought that was going to be enough. I brought like very, like not there, they are MMA gloves, but they're not heavy enough for hitting like a real heavy bag. Like the bags that we were working on were like 150 pounds, you know, like, so I have these like 
six ounce gloves hitting a 150 pound bag. And I would leave and be like, my knuckles hurt so bad. Why is that? And my trainer was like, you need heavier gloves. Like, (laughs) so I upgraded my gloves um, and I upgraded to normal hand wraps, which was surprising to me that they, they are, it's so much more support to actually physically take the time to wrap your hands versus the quick wraps. Um, so that was a learning curve, um, figuring out, um, the equipment that I needed to get to protect myself. And then, yeah, um, really investing the time to focus on technique, to focus on, um, which, um, which moves you really need to use, I'm like squaring up now, but like which moves you really you really need to use as like, like you don't wanna be super close to the person or the bag when you're doing a jab, you know? You wanna use that as a way to get the person away from you and you get away from the person. And then your hooks, those are up close. Like you're like wailing on them and your uppercuts, those are up close. So it's learning those kinds of things of, you know, which, which moves you need to create some distance and which moves you need to get up close using your lower body to create momentum too is key. Like really turning your, um, hips into a uh, cross hook um, is essential um, and creating the same with your uh, your front moves too is yeah definitely technique is everything so have you considered um, doing any other like mixed martial arts or anything other than boxing since you kind of started it no, I don't know why. Um, it doesn't, it doesn't really appeal to me so much. Um, there's something about, there's something about putting on those gloves. I think that really makes it for me. There's, there's something about the gloves and yeah, it's, it, I really think it's the gloves. The gloves make me feel cool. And I feel, I feel like, you know, if I were to do like, you know, any kind of like ju- jitsu or any kind you know things like that um I might not feel as cool I think it's about appearances <laughs> Jitsu's just not my aesthetic yeah that's what I'm saying it's just I need the gloves I, I need the gloves they're my superpower so I know another part of boxing is like a lot of breath work and things of yeah. that nature and I feel like that probably translates over to your uh, singing a little bit. So, like, has boxing helped your music, like, maybe in that way or some other way? Ooh, that's a really good question. I haven't really paid much attention, but you're absolutely right. Like, when when you hit, you really want to kind of there's different kind of noises that you can choose. I'm sure you've heard. <laughs> yeah. There's different kind of noises that you can choose to make. I've heard people do the. <laughs> but I do that like it's more of like a like which is you know like I'm tensing my diaphragm when I do that it is kind of it's very similar to like a um a breath kind of strengthening technique that you would learn in like a traditional vocalizing uh session so yeah I'm I'm sure it has helped you know, and like any kind of strengthening of your abdominals is obviously going to help um, when it comes to singing. So, yeah, for sure. I'm sure it has. I just haven't really like made that correlation, but I'm going to pay attention now. <laughs> <laughs> so speaking of music and your music, how did you get your start uh, playing and writing music? Um. Well, I've been in LA for about 10 years um, and probably three years into that, I decided that I was, I originally came out here for acting. That's what I went to college for. And it was really making me miserable, like hitting the audition grind. I hated it. Um, I really, really hated it. Um, And singing had always been a huge part of my life. I come from a musical theater background and I just kind of 
fell into it really. Um, I found a producer out here. I made a terrible EP um, in like 2018 under just like my name, um, Alexa Joan Ray, that will never see the light of day. It's really not even worth listening to. Um, but, but I, you know, you have to go through that to find your sound. It's that whole finding your sound thing. And uh, I ended up finding the right producer for me. Uh, his name is Kevin Billingsley and he's actually in Portland, Maine. Um, so I actually go out there to work with him. Um, I met him through collaborating with um, another band that he worked with and we just, we just clicked. Um, it's, it is one of those sort of magic kind of things um, when you really find the right collaborator for you. And we just sort of knew, we were like, yeah, let's, let's take, let's take this to, uh, um, I was working on uh, a um, co-write track with a band that he was working with. And I was like, hey, I have, you know, a solo project and some songs that I'd really like to work with you on can, can we do this? And he was like, fuck yeah. So it's, it's just been, um, yeah, it's just been, um, him and I ever since it's, let's see, I put out my first song under plexiglass in 2016. Um, so it's been a really, um, cool collaboration and progression with him and, um, really finding the pocket that we want to live in with this project. So what is sort of the difference, um, maybe not like in terms of who you're working with, but your workflow uh, when you think about Plexiglass and what you were doing before, like that EP that no one will ever hear? It was, it was a mixture of that producer really didn't understand the kind of music that I wanted to make. Um, he, he was more kind of a... I would say he came from more of like a heavier rock background. Um, I was sort of like referred to him by like a mutual friend. And um, he had sort of told me that he had, you know, worked with pop artists before, but it just, it really did turn out to just be nothing more than he really wasn't familiar with with the kind of sound that I was going for. And also like, I, I also had to grow into myself as a songwriter too. Um, so I think it was kind of those two things just working against each other. You know, I don't think that that producer is like a bad guy or anything like that. Um, even though, you know, I could say some things, but, um, <laughs> but it just, it just wasn't right. You know, it's, it's really as simple as that. I think that, um, I will, I will definitely take, um, kind of the bulk of the blame for that going wrong, because I really do feel like I had to grow into myself as a songwriter. I really did not know shit back then. Like I did not know what I was doing. I didn't know anything about the business side of being a music artist. And I didn't really, I wasn't really paying attention to the technical part of songwriting either. I really had to um, dive into that education. And once I did, I, I feel like I did quickly really, um, become a much better songwriter. And then I found Kevin and it was just the right timing, you know? So what were the steps that you took to kind of, you know, when you took a step back to learn and uh, kind of grow as a writer, what were some of those steps that helped you grow? I actually went back to school for a really brief time. I'm, I'm also not like a big school person. I'm not a gym person. I'm not a school person, <laughs> but I, but I did decide that I was going to go take some classes and I took, um, a really amazing songwriting class at musicians Institute here in Los Angeles. And it was, it was, it was everything. Um, I, I got accepted into the program and I kind of knew that I probably wasn't going to like finish the program. Um, 
And I found, I found that I probably did like, I think I did two semesters and I was like, I'm good. Like I have everything that I need. I'm good. This was a very expensive, uh, you know, <laughs> learning lesson, but I needed to do it. You know, like it was, it really was uh, exactly what I needed. I needed to sit down with people who could really lay out um, structure, you know, song structure and um, give me um, a kind of, and I probably could have done this part on my own, but a refresher on music theory doesn't ever hurt. You know, I think there's a kind of, um, there's a, there's a longstanding battle between um, uh, modern music musicians where the, the age old question of, do you need music theory to be, you know, in the industry? And I always say it doesn't hurt. I think, I think that I'm able to better, um, I'm able to better convey to a producer. I think especially when you're collaborating with people, if you're completely, you know, solo and you're producing, you're mixing, you're, you're doing everything, I think you can get away with just doing your own thing. But if you're collaborating with other people, you do need to be able to convey in the same language to those people. And that language is, you know, music theory. So that's kind of how I look at it. And um, me being able to lay out the chord progressions for these songs um, on piano. And even now, you know, I have attempted to get a lot better with music software and really try to come to the studio with a work tape ready to go for my producer. Being able to do that, um, it, it makes things go much easier. And going back to that, to the first producer I worked with, I think that was part of it too. I really just, I didn't have the tools and I didn't have the language to be able to come into the studio prepared and able to convey exactly, you know, what was like in my mind, it does suck. Cause I always, when I write music, the full production is like in here, you know? So I have to be able to, to get it out. So having all of these tools, the music theory, um, the song structure knowledge, um, and being able to use music software to come up with a kind of rough, uh, sketch, if you will, of the song is, essential for the way that that I work on my music anyway so I want to touch a little bit on um because we're talking about you kind of growing into um this musician and this songwriter and stuff so I want to touch a little bit on the songwriting itself and I know you said something about like uh you're very like autobiographical in your writing and it's very experiential to you so tell us a little bit about how you kind of found that particular writing style for your music. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I could list off like so many different inspirations of different artists that I listened to growing up that were, you know, really honest in their songwriting and, and helped me to feel not alone. Um, and, and that's, really what I wanted to achieve with this project. I wanted to write very truthfully about a few different things. I wanted to write very truthfully about mental health. Um, I think I think now in 2022, we're so much further um, than we even were in like 2017 when I released Liar, which is a song about my bipolar diagnosis. You know, when I put out that song, it was honestly really scary because I was still seeing a lot of stigmatizing bipolar, stigmatizing depression, um, and just mental health in general. So I really made it a pact to myself that I wasn't going to shy away from those topics. And I am really glad that I did because so many people that listen to my music, that's the number one thing that they say to me, like, you have your music and you have helped me to be more vocal about my struggles, um, with mental health. And, um, that is really important to me to keep, to continue to keep doing, um, to talk about trauma and, and things like that. Um, that's, that's a key thing. 
um, my first single was like very, it was very angry. It was, and I, it, it means so many different things now, but at the time it was really about combating a narcissist. Um, so that kind of falls into that pocket too. You know, I think that we know a lot more about, um, narcissistic personality disorder and like how to identify those people and the different manipulation tactics that they use. And um, so, yeah, that really is the theme. It's all about mental health and, um, and uplifting people. You know, I like to write a lot of anthems too. That's, that's my sort of MO too. I like to write a lot of like, um, angry, roll your windows down and scream at the top of your lungs on the highway, but also solemn and like, you know, cry in your car alone while it's raining, you know, anthems. I like to have, you know, give people the choice, you know, what are you feeling like today? What do you need? So uh, your most recent release your album where is your god knowing what you know now came out in october of, uh 2021 tell us a little bit about that process the songs you mentioned um liars on that album um mm -hmm. and the decisions to put those songs on that album after being released in 2017 so tell us about the process of that album you know it's funny i when I when I decided that I wanted to put out a full album and things did, you know, get kind of messed up for me and like my plans with COVID, I really wanted to be able to go back out to Maine in 2020. I had planned to do it and it was not possible. So I did have to make a choice. Um, I almost decided to just go with an EP, um, but I said, you know what? Uh, Lament en route, which was my first single I ever put out in 2016 and Liar 2017 uh, subsequently after, they really do fit in very nicely with all of my more recent music. Um, so I felt like, you know what, this could be a really nice opportunity to give those songs a little more life. Um, listeners who have come to me more recently, maybe they don't know about those two songs. It might be a good opportunity to introduce those songs to them. Um, and I think, um, I think it was a good decision because I have noticed that they they've gotten a little bit more traction since I put them on the record. Um, I really did have a kind of like departure period. Um, like if you look at my discography, there are songs that I let's see three songs that I did not include on the record. And that's because they just didn't fit. And that was like a very sort of it was definitely my experimental um, period. I did make two really awesome music videos for, um, no, three, three awesome music videos for all three of those songs. Um, mostly because honestly, I had the money to do it at the time. That is the unfortunate thing about this career is that it requires a lot of investment. It is a small business. Um, and I love to do music videos. And so when I put, um, it's Anathema, um, Resist, and um, Dead-Eyed Monsters are the three actual like official music videos that I have out. Um, and I'm really, I'm really happy that I had those experiences with those songs and with making those videos because I absolutely loved making those videos. And I conceptualized all of them and I directed two of them and it was a great experience, but they just, when I was looking at everything that I had for the record, it just didn't make sense to put them on there too. They just don't fit sonically. They're just very, they're very different songs. Um, and I don't regret them. I think that that was like my truth at the time. You know, I just kind of look at it as like, you know, that's exactly when I think back to myself at that time, that's exactly how I was feeling at the time. That's exactly the kind of sound that I needed to make at the time. But it is a sort of beautiful full, full circle thing that now I really feel like I've come into my sounds and the first two songs that I ever put out 
really fit very well with the current sound. So it, it is interesting to look at that. So I know you said those three were on the experimental side in terms of sound and whatnot. Would you consider doing another project uh, with like a similar sound or maybe just a um, theme uh, in, in some regard and maybe make another record with those other ones? You never know. Um, you never know. <laughs> you know, um, I would say I would say I kind of scratched that itch of that sound with a I'm in a. I'm in a kind of, um, I don't even know what to call it. I guess it's prog metal. I'm in, I'm in a project, um, that kind of does scratch that itch for me. Um, and, uh, so I, so I think that that's sort of like wanting to sort of branch out of like your typical kind of mainstream pop sounds, um, is fulfilled with, this other project that I'm in. Um, it's called the mask of the phantasm. If you're, if you're a Mars Volta fan, it's, it's very much in that, uh, sort of pocket of like Prague, uh, like, uh, art metal rock. Um, so, so that, that I think definitely fulfills any sort of like branching out of the genre for me. Um, but you never know, you never know, you know, uh, it's, it's a, uh, it's a winding road this career and I could uh, think back to this conversation in a few years and be like, you know what? He was right. He was right. <laughs> I, I need another project. So never closing that door. Smart. <laughs> <laughs> Good to keep your options open. Oh right? yeah. So one of the other big things that you have mentioned several times since we've been on is collaboration. And we know you have uh, done a lot of that. Mm. Um, tell us a little bit about some of your experiences uh, collaborating with other artists. Yeah. Um, so when I kind of made the decision to, um, and I'm actually like going back into like a regular nine to five job now, but it's been a few years of being like music full time. And that was because I started getting a lot of requests for commissions, um, uh, features, things of that nature from other um, producers. And um, so I've done like a lot of um, like, uh, alternative like cover features. I have like a um, Believer by Imagine Dragons cover that I'm on that's like really cool and sort of like dark rock kind of feel. Definitely very like epic trailer kind of vibe. Um, I did a um, No Time to Die cover, Billie Eilish, No Time to Die cover, same kind of feel, very like rock trailer um trailer music cover and then I've done like like sort of bedroom uh pop uh just like you know writing top line and like singing for other people's music like really all different genres I've done a, a lot of EDM music like count <laughs> countless um house tracks and you know things of that nature and um, I like it. There, there are some that I, that I like more than others. And those are the ones that I allow to like use the plexiglass branding and things like that. And others I'm like, Hey, you know, let's just keep this one anonymous. Um, but I like it. I like, I like the process of someone giving me a track that they already have kind of done and me being able to pull out of that a story if they don't have like a set story in mind or sometimes they do and they're like hey this is kind of what I was envisioning and that's that's a sort of it's an it's another way for me to exercise my songwriting capabilities um it's sort of working backwards, then I work 
on my own project. So it's interesting to be able to, to do that too. Um, and it's something that I've considered trying to really like make a living out of. Um, but I will say that I'm kind of a little bit of a control freak and I've had like, like, especially with like art, you know, like I really do put so much into it. And I have had one too many instances of putting like my freaking blood, sweat, and tears into this top line and this like dude bro being like, yeah, I don't like it. And just like, you know, it is kind of a customer service role when you're doing commissions like that, because they are kind of hiring you for a service. So there is not a lot of room to get artistic unless you work out some sort of royalty split, um, which a lot of times I don't even bother when it, like, if it's like a genre that I know that, that I don't even really want to sort of associate my brand with, um, I just kind of let it go. And I just kind of have to write according to what they want to hear. Um, so, so that's, that's the difficult part of, um, collaborating for hire, I would say when you're collaborating as a creative, I love it. You know, there's, there's so much more, um, freedom. There's not, you know, there's a little bit of ego everywhere, but like, there's not as much ego, I think, than when you're, um, collaborating for hire, you know, it's, it's kind of, unfortunately, this attitude of like, well, I'm paying you, so you got to do what I want you to do. And it's kind of fair enough, you know, like I kind of have to just be like, all right, well, you know, you're right. All right. <laughs> um, but it's hard because I am one of those people that's like, you know, if I'm going to spend half my life working, I really need to enjoy what I'm doing. And so I have started saying no to a lot more commissions this year. Um, I sort of made a decision that it just was really, I think I just could not sort of grit my teeth and, you know, get through the ones that I really felt like the producer was an asshole and like, or the track was really bad. And like, you know, I, cause it, there is a lot of that. Sometimes I get tracks and I'm like, what the fuck am I supposed to do with this? Like, like, how do you expect me to do anything with this? So I'm saying no to all of those kinds of, um, requests that come my way now and really just sort of, um, still working with people that I have, um, worked with for honestly years now, um, right before I got on with you guys, I was working on something with, um, a guy from the UK that I've worked with countless times. And it's, it's so simple because he just gives me everything I need to just go in and just bang it out. And those are the jobs that I, that I love the most. Um, if, if it is a for hire thing. So one a fairly recent collaboration that we're aware of uh, that is on your new album is with Mike Shinoda. And I feel like that's kind of a big deal. Um, he reached out to you, correct? To Yes. Um, so Mike has a really popular Twitch channel. Um, and I actually am not a, a Twitch person. And I had a couple of my listeners who happened to also be huge Lincoln Park stands and huge Mike Shinoda stands. And we're like, Hey, Mike is doing this thing this year where he's producing people's songs. If he likes them, like you should submit. Um, and I did. And he like followed me on TikTok and like, hit me up on TikTok. <laughs> I giggle about it because I really was like, wow, <laughs> was like, this, this is a really like crazy thing. Um, my 12 year old self is screaming right now. Um, uh, Cause yeah, I mean, like I was very 
um, into the uh, pop punk scene of the early 2000s and could have never dreamed at that time that I would ever get the chance to speak with Mike Shinoda, let alone have him produce one of my songs. Um, so that was crazy. Um, Lilith was a song that I had written like in my parking garage of my apartment, like two years before I like wrote just the beginning and I couldn't figure out how to finish it. And actually when he hit me up and said, Hey, this is great. I want to do it. It wasn't finished still. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, but it, yeah, it was really scary, but, <laughs> but I think that that was exactly what I needed to jumpstart the inspo because for whatever reason, yeah, I like tried a bunch of things and it just, it didn't feel right. Um, but after I heard back from him, it probably took me like, I don't know, 15 minutes to finish it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like I, I, just need to just, I just needed Mike Shinoda to say that he likes my song. Because um, that is what happens with me. If it's going to be a song that I'm going to go on to produce and release, um, I normally finish them in like, 15 to 20 minutes tops it just sort of flows out of me and I knew that this little snippet that I had written was something I knew I knew that it was something but the rest of it just wasn't coming to me for whatever reason so I sat on it um and it just I was just waiting for Mike so <laughs> thank you Mike um, and it was a really crazy experience really really crazy experience that I will um cherish forever and ever honestly uh and I couldn't imagine it turning out any other way and he is just such a multifaceted, just musician's musician you know he just can cross genres in a way that I don't think many people can um there was like that little moment <laughs> I think like right before, cause he produced it live on, on Twitch. There was that little moment where I was like, fuck, what if I don't like it? <laughs> am I gonna, <laughs> like, am I gonna have to tell Mike, <laughs> Mike Shinoda, am I gonna have to tell him, Hey man, eh, I don't really like it. <laughs> and I think there were some people that like didn't end up um, releasing um theirs that he produced for them which is like you know I'm sure he doesn't give a shit but but there was that fear it was like oh my god what if I don't like it but no he knocks that out of the park um can't believe I ever doubted him um, he, he, he really he really killed it and really um understood right away um the sound I was going for and so it's so beautifully uh, fits in with everything that Kevin and I do as well. Um, I don't, I don't think that Mike like listened to any of my other music, which is the amazing part too. I think he just sort of felt it that, that it, you know, the sound that he ended up going for was right. And it just really, uh, fit perfectly with the project and with all of the other songs that I've done with Kevin I think if people didn't know that somebody else very famous produced it that they would have just assumed that it was you know my regular collaborator so yeah what what a wild and unexpected gift probably the only gift of 2020 um <laughs> you know so that was it was so crazy so Having um, been able to work with so many people and like dipping your toes in all these genres, whether it's like for commission work or otherwise, mm -hmm. like have you picked up anything that you think is particularly like if there's any lessons that you've learned about like producing music or just working with other people in general? Oh, yeah. Um, I think I think one of the best. um songwriting lessons that I ever learned was probably from Kevin. Um, it was early on. I was like bringing him like 
four, like over four minute versions of my songs. And some, sometimes my songs do like get pretty close to four minutes, but he said to me once, it was something to the effect of like, you have to know when you've like made your point, like when your story has like reached its conclusion. Um, you know, sometimes, sometimes you need seven minutes to reach that conclusion, but normally you don't, <laughs> you know, sometimes, you know, you have your stairway to heavens where you need like, you know, nine minutes or however long stairway to heaven is, but you know, the, the point, the point was very, um, it was very enigmatic for me and for my writing moving forward to really pay attention to like, okay, am I just like beating a dead horse with my point of this story that I'm trying to tell at this point? Um, so that's, that was a super important lesson. Um, let's see another, another thing that I've definitely learned is, um, I think I kind of touched on this earlier, but that you do have to kind of know, have a sort of spidey sense for people's personalities um, and trust your gut when you know that, that you're just not meshing with someone and like, that's okay. And like, it's okay to decide that it's just not working. Um, I probably would have uh, not wasted so much time um, if I had learned that uh, lesson a little sooner. Um, but I think that just comes with like any um, job and just sort of like getting more confident in who you are within um, that space um, to sort of just command that you you have your worth and they have their worth and sometimes those do not mesh and it's okay. So a little bit earlier, we talked about uh, what inspires you to write, you know, your personal experiences writing um, that way. Who are some of the artists that you listen to that also inspire you to write? Yeah. Um, so many um, love, love, love um, for years and years, love Florence Welch from Florence and the machine. Um, I probably get the most like comparisons to her out of any other uh um current artist i love the way that um annie from saint vincent writes um her storytelling i think is like like bar none um i love um justin from bonnie Vare. i've seen him like many many times he's like a freaking genius as far as i'm concerned um regina specter is a big um artist that i think just has like no limits to how she writes and and um there are so many songs with her in particular that i love that aspect of feeling like one song is like three different songs within a song. I love, I love that. Um, and then like, I also really, really um, love um, the way that Gerard Way writes. I think that he's really freaking brilliant. I, I, I could listen to all of the Motion City or Motion City, um, <laughs> My Chemical Romance. I love Motion City soundtrack too, but um, My Chemical Romance, I could listen to all of their records on repeat for days because I just think that structurally, like I think Mama is like one of the best songs written like within the past, like at least 30 years. Um, it's just like really brilliant. That's another song that feels like it's like, three different songs within one song. Um, I really love the ability to sort of tell a story within a story within a story in a song. Um, I don't think I've quite like gotten there with my writing, but I definitely aspire to get there someday. Um, yeah, I could go on for like days about different artists that I love. Bishop Briggs. <laughs> you don't have to we, no I, I could but I won't <laughs> um 
So I know you talked a little bit earlier about you're currently working on someone, uh, something with someone in the UK. Yeah. I don't know if that's necessarily your project or theirs, but what is um, your next step? Is there anything that you're working on for Plexiglass that we might be able to expect to hear sometime? I'm going to relatively soon. Oh, yeah. I, I'm hoping. God, I really... I'm really hoping that I'm able to get back in the studio this year. Um, I would really like to release, start releasing some singles by springtime. Um, that's the goal. Um, I do have like three songs ready to go. Um, a couple like covers that I've written just like specifically for like sync placements like specifically for like trailer placements and things like that um that I'm really excited about that would fly under the plexiglass name and yeah um hoping to get a music video done this year I just I have a lot of hopes for this year but I'm also trying to be realistic because we just you know it's still there's still so much uncertainty so it's hard to plan right now um because Kevin, my producer, actually ended up getting Omicron, um, unfortunately, and had like a rough go. And he was like vaccinated and everything. It was it was rough. I felt really bad for him. So <laughs> I have to I have to plan carefully. I'm I have plans, but I have to plan carefully. So hopefully, I would like to put out at least three singles this year and a video. That is my hope. We also hope <laughs> that you get to do that. We will keep a lookout um, for it. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, for sure. With that, though, Sydney, do you have any other questions? So where can we find and follow you online and stream all Plexiglass music? I'm pretty much everywhere. So at anywhere you stream music, I'm on Apple, I'm on Spotify, Deezer, Tidal, SoundCloud, um, and, you know, everywhere you stream music, I'm there. Um, and on most, most social media platforms, it's just at Plexiglass as well. So pretty easy to track down. Well, once again, uh, thank you so much for being on with us today. It was an absolute pleasure talking to you. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for listening to Little Known Tracks. If you or a loved one want to be featured on an episode of Little Known Tracks, you can send us an email at littleknowntrackspodcast at gmail.com. Also, feel free to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at LKTPod for all of our updates and occasionally giveaways and such. Once again, thank you for listening. Until next time.